There's a weightiness. Do you feel that about about when God speaks and, and when and when we're kind of in God's presence? I find it in my times with God in the morning, just being in the quiet. There's a, there's a sense of Him. It's not about physical quiet necessarily, but it's about a a peace and a and a, and a sort of a weighty calmness about about life that I think we have when we're at peace with God and, and that we know that things are good with Him and our life is in His hands. And for me, that's an encouraging thing to continue to return to that, that weighty place, that place of knowing that he is good uh, and just sitting and living and operating from that place. So you might choose at this point, again, as per, as per our, how we're doing things, to, the, the, the best way for your household is to, is to log off the live stream here and maybe the Huckett's are looking at um, the youth video. Um, we've also got these questions here. So we're going to be looking at Ruth. We're, we're looking at these people of faith in the Old Testament and what it was like for them to, to journey with God uh, as we, we ourselves are on a life of faith, particularly in quite uncertain times. So these are some questions that you might like to take away and tailor them to who you are. Um, if you're with children, you might find it easier to look at Ruth in a children's Bible. Not in every children's Bible, but the good ones have got, have got Ruth in there. Um, or it's, it's, it's about four, I think it's about four chapters long, Andrew? Yeah, four chapters. So you can read it actually in one sitting. Um, and there's some questions for you to take away. They're also in the, in the Facebook comments. So I'm going to hand over to Andrew now. So if you're staying with us on the live stream, then um, uh, we have the privilege of Andrew speaking to us. Andrew, over to you. Wonderful. So if you're heading off, now's your time. Goodbye. If you're staying, thank you. Um, should we pray together and then, and then we'll uh, get into looking at the story of Ruth and, and what, we can, what we can take from it, what we can learn from it. So let's pray. Father, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we, we honour you. Father, we, we, we acknowledge that you are real and that you move, that you're dynamic, you're not static. Thank you for the way that you still lead us, that you still speak to us, that you're interested in the, in the bread and butter of daily life, that you have an opinion that you long to share, guidance that you long to give. So we open ourselves up to it. We say, Holy Spirit, would you shape us? Would you shape us through the story of Ruth, through another Old Testament character? Would we see principles of how to live for you? Would you unveil it to us? Holy Spirit, come and reveal the truth. Amen. So, um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you straight off, this is an incomplete message. And the reason I say that is because um, I, actually every message that you're ever going to hear is an incomplete message. Because uh, a talk on a Sunday isn't, uh, isn't designed to tell you the silver bullet of the Christian life. The, the, the one key thing that you need for, for how to be a successful Christian. Every, every message is an exploration around the, the, the wonderful mystery of life following Jesus. And so today, very much, this exploration of Ruth and, and what I'm going to focus on, it very much fits into the narrative of what we're looking at generally, especially partnered with Alice's talk last week on how King David strengthened himself in the Lord and the need for us to create a personal history with God. That, um, that other people can't learn our lessons for us, that, that we can't thrive as followers of Jesus unless we develop a personal history with God. Times where we fought one-to-one, where we wrestled, where we prayed, where we saw breakthrough, where we turned to him 
and he answered us. So, so please don't think that this stands alone. It very much ties in with what we've heard before. And previous weeks in this series, we've been looking at, as Chris said, these key characters of faith from the Old Testament, who, who a lot of them went on journeys or, or had a lifelong calling that they went on that God um, invited or called them into. And Ruth is a little bit different from that because Ruth doesn't have a call from God. There's not a moment in the story of Ruth where God says in, in black and white, in a black and white way like he does with Abraham, uh, where God says, you need to stay with Naomi or, or you need to do X or Y. And that's why it's a really interesting book because actually I think it's guidance for us when perhaps we don't feel like we have a clear word from God directing us in the chapter of life that we're in. What do we do? How do we live? How do we, how do we be a disciple of Jesus? When, when God hasn't told us something specific to do. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And I'll be looking at a couple of principles. But first, let me recap you on the story of Ruth. Its position actually in uh, the Bible, where it's placed, is really interesting. It, it sits between the book of Judges and the book of 1 Samuel. Judges is about the, the early leaders of Israel. And 1 Samuel is about the process of Israel uh, getting their first king. And Ruth sits in the middle of this, those two books that are all about the the big picture of the journey of Israel. And right in the middle is this story about um, nobodies, people who who were the first to suffer in a famine. They they had to go when there was a a lack of food because probably, and I'm I'm kind of guessing here, but probably they, they were in a sort of lower income bracket of society at the time. So as unfortunately happens when there is an economic downturn, it is the already downtrodden who suffer first. So um, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi and her husband and her two sons have to leave Israel because there's a famine to try and go to another land to survive. When they're there, Naomi and her husband, their two sons marry uh, Ruth and Orpah. And then over time, uh, Naomi, this, this sort of matriarch of this family, has Uh, disaster after disaster her husband dies her two sons die and she's left with her two daughters in law she gets news that in israel that that they're they're, they found a way of managing this lack of food that they're suddenly now not as hungry as they were and so she makes a decision to go back and she says to her daughters-in-law go home go go back to your your family home don't come with me you can marry again you can have children again. And, and both daughters-in-law say, no, we, we want to come with you. Um, and, and Naomi has to say again, no, go. You know, you, Even if Naomi is an older woman, even she says, even if I were to marry again and have kids, are you really going to wait to marry a, a son and wait 20, 25 years? No, it'd be better for you to go back. Orpah goes and, and there's no hint that that's a bad decision. But Ruth says, I'm going to go with you. Uh, your people will be my people. This is a very, probably the most famous verse in Ruth. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. So she goes back with Naomi. And then through a, a journey of them trying to reintegrate society and really to get enough food to eat, uh, Ruth ends up gathering food in a man's field during harvest time. And that man turns out to be a relative. And part of the custom of the day was that um, if somebody died then in the family line a brother or someone closely related would be would have the opportunity to marry that um, dead man's wife to keep that man's uh, family line going so it sounds 
again, and we've mentioned this a number of times, it sounds kind of a bit, I mean, barbaric's the wrong word, but it sounds very uh, not like how we would live today, not the kind of um, equality that we know is right today. But at the time, there's this story of honour where the, uh, a family relative, the idea is to continue the family line of the deceased husband. And the man, the relative who ends up marrying Ruth is called Boaz, who's a man of honour. And um, he, he marries Ruth and they have children. And very interestingly, at the end, right at the end of Ruth, is a genealogy of how Ruth's descendants unfold. And that's something I want to focus on in a minute. So that's a, 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 a synopsis of Ruth. Hopefully I've not butchered it, but if I have, better still, read it yourself. So um, what I want to focus on is that question of what, what, how do we live? What do we do when we haven't got a clear word from God? Like Abraham was saying, go and live there. How do we live? And the thing that I think that we see from the book of Ruth is that she and Naomi, but all of the characters in Ruth, relentlessly did the right thing with what they had in front of them. So every decision that they're faced, especially in the process of, of Ruth gathering food from uh, somebody else's field, the way that she does that, the way that Naomi counsels her to introduce herself to Boaz, the way that Boaz, the, the relative who ends up marrying her, the way that he uh, relates to Ruth, protects her, makes sure she isn't taken advantage of, makes sure she gets enough food. Then he goes and speaks to a relative who's got a, a more a, a closer link to the family, so he's got the opportunity to marry Ruth first, and Boaz just does it all the right way. And throughout the story, you just see people time and time again living with honour, making the right decision with the decision that is in front of them. And what I want to say to you and me from the book of Ruth is that um, we need to live a life where we are relentlessly doing the right thing with the decision that is in front of us. Time and time again, we need to be doing the right thing. Small decisions, big decisions. Where we live, friendships, family, schooling, income, everything. Make the right decision. Decision, And by right, I mean righteous. I mean in the character of God. There's a fascinating bit in the beginning of the Gospels where uh, Mary, mother of Jesus, falls pregnant. And when Joseph, her fiancé, finds out, um, it says that Joseph was a just and upright man. And he, and he considered to divorce Mary quietly to preserve her honour. So in the absence of the voice of God, Joseph considers things and goes, what is the right choice the most righteous line that I can take. He makes that choice, and only when he's made that choice does God intervene in a dream. So with the lack of the voice of God, our mandate is to make the the just and upright decisions time and time and time again. So as I say that, there may be decisions, there may be choices that we made, moments in our life where we know that we cut a corner, where we didn't do things in the right way, where where we didn't act uprightly. Make it right. Because that is one of the key things from Ruth, is make the right choice time and time again. I want to read to you a little quote from uh, John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he references a conversation between uh, Henry Nouwen, who is a spiritual writer. Uh, I haven't read much of his stuff, but very well known and very well thought of. And Henry Nouwen went to get some spiritual advice from Mother Teresa. Uh, So... It's, it's a conversation that you, you wish you'd listened to. I, I, I wish I'd been there. And, um, and he asks effectively, uh, let me read it. Nowen asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction. He was dealing with a number of problems in his soul and sought her wisdom. Imagine one of the greatest followers of Jesus of the 20th century asking a saint for a little advice on how to, fo- how to follow Jesus. 
This is what she said. Well, when you spend one hour a day adoring your Lord and never do anything which you know is wrong, you will be fine. Let me read that again. Well, when you spend one hour a day adoring your Lord and never do anything which you know is wrong, you will be fine. I think it's very sound advice. And if you partner Alice's talk last week, which perhaps we could, we could bracket into the first half of that bit of advice, you know, spend one hour a day adoring your Lord. And then today from the book of Ruth is where that second bit of advice comes from. And never do anything which you know is wrong. Never do anything that you know is wrong. And if you do, make it right. As Danny Silk says a number of times, if you make a mess, it's yours to clean up. So please, let us be people who are committed to, like Ruth, like Naomi, like Boaz, ruthlessly, relentlessly, do the right thing. And the reason that that is so important, and this is coming on to the second point of my talk, is that that it leaves a significant legacy. So the reason I think it's interesting that the book of Ruth ends with that genealogy is because of the characters who you see are related to Ruth. Basically, she's in the, in the family line of Jesus. But at this point in, in history, let me just get them. Here it is. So this then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. If you're looking for names for, for children, then, you know, got a few here. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of, wow, Aminab, Aminabab. No, Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, who was married to Ruth. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David, the King David that we read about in the very next book of the Bible. So something I found interesting was thinking about that that relentless uh, righteous living that Ruth demonstrated, a loyalty to family that she demonstrated and lived by. And then actually, if we trace that family line into King David and the story of King David, some of the traits that you see in Ruth, you see in David. Because the legacy of her choices to live a life of loyalty, of doing the right thing at all costs, no matter what it cost her, gets passed on to her child, to their children, to their children, until King David, the great-grandson of Ruth, suddenly we read in his story that he has the chance to kill Saul, his adversary, but the person who's king, but he refuses to do it. Why? Because he refuses to cut corners. He refuses to do the wrong thing. The very value that Ruth lived by, Ruth, this nobody in this story in the Bible that really almost in a way could disappear in terms of the the history of the nation. It just doesn't seem significant and yet she's in the family line and her values we see lived out in the life of David. And guess what? If you pass the line down from David, you come to Jesus. And what was Jesus' one of his life mandates? You know, I do what I hear the Father doing. He was ultimately loyal to his family. The very value that Ruth lived by, we see in David and we see in Jesus. The influence that we have by making righteous choices today will be felt for generations to come. Whether we have biological children or not, righteous living leaves a legacy. Yes, it might be beyond our lifetime, but most of the good things in scripture are Most of the promises aren't fulfilled before I die or before the person dies. Actually, a lot of impact is left in legacy. 
Now, now I want to talk a little bit about this, this family heritage that um, is massively at play through scripture. Why, you know, why there's so many genealogies in the Bible? Because where you come from is important. Because family is one of the, the arenas of life that most shapes us for good and for ill. And I think it's important that we uh, delve into our family heritage, which is why we asked Joel, uh, you know, how are you like your dad? How are you like your mum? And I have to say, Duncan and Sarah, your boys are incredibly emotionally intelligent to think that he understands love languages at his age. I didn't learn about that until 28, you know, so I was a bit slow off the mark, apparently. So, Joel, if you want to teach me about that stuff, please feel free. Um, and uh, but but yes, how are you similar to your parents? Because because a lot of traits get passed through a family. So King David, uh, another thing about him, we can see that good one of loyalty that get passed on from the family. But also the strengths of a family can also be the weaknesses of a family. So loyalty, a great strength, but we also see it as a weakness of David. So later in King David's life, his son Absalom basically starts to steal the heart. Of the nation, he starts to to stand at the city gates and give people advice who are on the way to get advice from the king, and slowly steals their hearts. And he openly rebels. He declares himself king. He's rebelling against his father, but his father is so loyal to his family that he can't see the wood from the trees. He can't see the rebellion of Absalom, and so that's why it's important to be able to understand what is passed through our family line, so we can grab the good and let go of the bad. So how do we understand our families? How do we go about exploring our heritage and working out how to uh, process it? Well, um, I'm going I'm to recommend some resources to you to do this because ultimately it's a deeper topic than, than I'm able to um, walk us through. It's, it's, it's too sensitive. Uh, there, there's too much uh, hurt and murkiness to be able to cover it by an unresearched guy like me. Uh, all I know is, is that I've benefited from exploring through my genealogy, my family history, exploring the good and the bad and processing, working out how it still shapes me and how to harness it so that I control it rather than it controls me. So the first thing I'd recommend is, is this book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Pete Scazzaro. It's a fantastic book that delves into, in part, our family heritage and how to process that. Now, we at Hope have got great tools of repentance, of how to, of how to work through strongholds and things. But I think specifically going into the family line is a very good way of doing that. The other thing I'll recommend is a podcast, two podcasts that actually Charlie Karen recommended to me on something called the Bowen or the Bowen family theory. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a philosophical um, principle or a, a psych, I don't know, I, I mean I'm just using long words, I'm not sure, a psychological something? But anyway, it's a, it's a study on uh, a chap called, I think James Bowen or Mr. Bowen or somebody Bowen, who looked at the way that family shapes us and they go through eight different ways. And I'd really recommend it, there are two parts, uh, Rebecca's going to post uh, the first part on every podcast platform I could think of. So we've got Google, Apple, Spotify, CastBox, uh, forgive me if I've forgotten any others, but so just to make it as accessible as possible, I really recommend the listening to them and to, and to listening to both, both halves because it's, uh, it's very, very good to delve into. And one of the things they talk about, that there are two specific things that they talk about that I'll mention. The first one is that they talk about genealogies. 
And that is where you draw out your family tree and you look at some of the key relationships and the key things that happen in people's lives and you track it through a number of generations. Pete Scazzaro, in his book that uh, I, I recommended, he also does this. Let's see if you can see an example. You won't be able to read it, really. But um, am I in shot there? So that is a genealogy where you trace the family line and, uh, and you explore it. So that's the kind of thing you do. You literally draw it out and you look at uh, examples of um, broken marriages or uh, addictions or things like that. And you begin to look for patterns and ways in which perhaps uh, things that affected your ancestors maybe um, affect you today. And through a process of, you know, that doesn't define us, but by understanding it, we actually begin to get the opportunity to break free from it. So an example in my life would be that, uh, as I've shared at Hope a few times, I, I, about two years ago, I experienced quite intense anxiety and worry. And, and as I processed it, I started to talk to my family about my worry. And I realised over time that both of my brothers also uh, had sort of battled with worry and that my dad has battled with worry. And so I sat down with my dad and I said, I just feel like I've realised that um, there's worry in the, in, in the men in our family. And uh, what do you think? And, and he was very humble and soft-hearted and I know that's not the same case for everyone. To be able to process it with their family is a, is a rare privilege. Um, but bringing up the conversation and beginning to realise that this is a pattern of my, of my family's legacy. Now, just with David, how loyalty was a good thing and a bad thing, often there, there are two sides to the same coin. And something that my dad said to me that I thought was incredibly wise was he said that while, yes, worry is the negative side, what's the positive? And the positive is taking responsibility for the family. The negative is when you take that on your shoulders rather than trusting it's on God's shoulders. And so, but we can tease these things apart through understanding our families. The second thing, the second point of those eight from the Bowen family principles that I'll just mention briefly is talking about the position in your family. Uh, what number child you are, whether you're an only child or not an only child, or whether you're like me, you're the youngest, and how that impacts us. And slowly you begin to realise that there's some commonalities often through the position in the family that you have. So I'm the youngest. Often that means I, that youngest don't take responsibility, that they're a bit carefree. Uh, and that would definitely be true for me, that I would always be trying to make the family laugh, and I would shirk responsibility, taking ownership of things, and let the other siblings do it. And so um, suddenly I feel like, wow, I see that, so what am I going to do? I'm going to try and take the initiative with sorting birthday presents and not wait for my elder sister to be the one, either of my sisters to be the ones to initiate. I'm going to step forward and start changing the narrative. So understanding our family is incredibly important. And I'm going to come to land in a minute. But I just wanted to say that it's not just biological family. Because when we talk about exploring and understanding our families, um, it is a very painful thing if there's, if there's been significant breakdown in the family, if there's been uh, abuse in the family, uh, whether that's high level abuse or, 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 or quite low level or, or not very obvious. Family is an incredibly sensitive, incredibly powerful tool and, and it can be used for good and for ill. But the good news is, is that right at the heart of the gospel, the message of the Bible is that we're actually invited into a new family with a new story, with a new heritage. And we don't just experience that with God, but we experience that with church. 
that hope, we have a legacy. We have values that as we become grafted into this family through prayer and being devoted to the story here, actually become who we are. That perhaps through the miracle that God does, we can associate primarily with our spiritual family, not our biological family. Not that we reject our biological family or anything like that, but what what I'm trying to communicate is that you are not um, shackled or limited by your biology, but through understanding it and, and processing it, you can actually be free from it and you can become grafted in to another family values. The example from scripture I'll give you there is Jonathan, the son of Saul, the, the adversary of David, actually through friendship with David, adopts his values. He becomes incredibly loyal to David. He becomes incredibly uh, knitted together with David. So if, if you feel like, I don't want to look at my family heritage because it's just, it was just left so many negative marks, understand that you are grafted into a new family, that there's an invitation for you to go, actually, I'm not primarily identified with my biological family, but my spiritual family, with God as the father, as a good father, that any wounds inflicted by my biological family, any insecurities born there, that God can and will undo through processing it with our our church family, with a few key trusted people, and understanding that your family tree now looks very different to what it once did because you're found in him so that's what i want to bring to you from the book of ruth relentlessly do the right thing because as you do so it will leave a legacy well beyond your lifetime and the second is that just as you will leave a legacy beyond your lifetime you are the product of a legacy you are a link in a chain that you are shaped by the family that you come from and so understand that so it does not limit you but so that you can harness the good and walk away from the bad, understanding that you are grafted into a new family with a legacy that is pure, that is holy, that is righteous, and that is who you are becoming. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the book of Ruth. Thank you for a story that we can relate to where life isn't always full of clear commands or clear uh, leadership of, of, of your Holy Spirit. That Sometimes uh, we, we can't hear you talk, but sometimes in life we just need to do the right thing Trusting that you're with us, trusting that you're for us, and relentlessly making choices that we know are righteous. Father, if there are choices that we've made, decisions that we've made that you, that, 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 that were not the right decision, would you, would you show us and tell us how to make it right? And would we make it right? Would we make, would we clean up our mess? Just like Charlie was here, wiping up the water. I mean, arguably that's my mess, but wiping up the water. Would we clean up our mess? And Father, thank you that, we, that, that family is your design, that we do come from others, that we are born of parents, and that is your design. But Lord, as we see in life, often your design is twisted and not used for its designed purpose, its heavenly purpose. So help us to understand and explore our family trees. Would you help us to understand where you want to liberate us from negative habits of heritage? And would you show us how to be liberated into the new family that you want us to identify with, the family of God, the family of our church, the family of those who have been set free by the gospel of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we invite you, search us, lead us, heal us and free us. Amen. I'll pass you back to Chris and he'll he'll wind us up. Thanks, Andrew.
That's really encouraging, isn't it? I think that whole long view of we're part of something which is for many years rather than a quick immediate fix is, is really encouraging and that, and, that, that, and that release as well just to make the decision that's in front of us and to choose to trust God and do things God's way here and now and thanks, that's re- I find that really encouraging great, so you might want to um, if something particular has struck you as you've, um, as you've been listening as you've been worshipping uh, with us this morning then do, do pray with someone uh, if, you're, if you're on your own you could give someone a call or a text or, 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 a, um, or for the people with you um, maybe you could pray with each other and, and, and just uh, finish, finish things up in, in prayer personally well, um, we've got some events happening later on, haven't we? You might know about that already. We've got these, uh, the Bring Your Own uh, from 2 o'clock here. Um, people have signed up to, might be, I'm not sure if there are any spaces left on that or not. And then we've got youth uh, at um, later on in the afternoon. And then we're, doing a, we're trying out a, a kids' football thing for the first time. And then we've got One Church One Day on Tuesday starting at 6am. Again, that's all available online, all the details of that, of that. Join us in praying about Hope's 24 hours of prayer for the city of Bristol. Um, uh, and then uh, really highly recommend this Parenting for Faith on Wednesday, 7.30. Contact Hannah in the office to let us know if you're coming along and she can give you the Zoom details. Really, uh, really encourage you to, to, to join that. Great, we'll finish there. Uh, as Christy would say, God love you.